Welcome to Northgate's podcast. We pray you enjoy the teaching of God's Word. May the Holy Spirit encourage, exhort, and comfort you. We invite you to come and see what the Lord is doing at Northgate. Come and grow with us. May you be blessed by the God of hope. So we've been making our way through the book of Ephesians last week in chapter 2, which is such a a famous chapter and an important chapter. And we took a couple weeks to cover it in verses 1 through 4, and then last week more 6 through 10. Understanding God's amazing grace towards us, His kindness in Christ Jesus, and that we are His workmanship. We learned that, that we should... Walk in the good works he has prepared for us. Now, no, Paul is writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, chapter 1, all our spiritual blessings, and then the prayer he had for the church in Ephesus, those three things, and then chapter 2. So we're going to attempt to complete chapter 2. I'm just going to read verse 11 through 22 this morning where it says is therefore remember that you once gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands that at the time you were without christ being aliens from the commonwealth of israel and strangers from the covenants of promise having no hope and without god in the world But now in Christ, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments, contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man, from the two, thus making peace. And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Verse 19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So, I don't plan where we are, by the way. We just started the book of Ephesians, but I think it rather interesting with the news and everything going on in those first few verses. The only answer for the conflict is Jesus. Amen? That is the truth. It was interesting in our prayer time, George prayed that, and how true it is, the conflict in the Middle East, 
There is no great peace plan. The only answer is Jesus because he is our peace and he is the one who will bring peace between Jew and Gentile. It's very clear here and many commentaries will tell you that this is kind of the formation of the church. It's not what nation you belong to. More appropriately, it's who you belong to. That you belong to Jesus and we are now citizens of heaven. And so how important is that, that this separation, and you could track all the way back this conflict, Jew and Gentile, from the very, very beginning, can't you? All the way back to Abraham and Jacob and Ishmael. And then in the time, even through Old Testament and all the wars and New Testament, there has never been peace. There's only been hate and strife and anger. And on the part of the Jew, here it is, that they were the way and the law that they dealt with was the only way to obey the law. But we know no one could obey the law. Thus, Jesus coming in the flesh destroyed that. And he now is the only way. Amen? It's only through belief in Christ. And as you believe in Christ, you become new and peace. And anyone who believes, we become a part of the same household or the same body. Amen? So it's not, I am Canadian first. No, I'm a Christian. I just happen to be born in Canada and come from Canada, right? And there is in some way an importance to that, but nothing in comparison to the truth of being reconciled to God through Jesus and that we are one household together. Or scripture would say in the New Testament, we are one body or one Family, And it's not just Northgate or just the Baptists or Pentecostals like that is short sighted too. we are one all who believe and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It's not these little pockets of separation that we have to do it this way or that way. There's one way and it's Jesus. Amen. Like this is crucial not only for this major conflict, but the little conflicts between churches and people that on gray areas that we can say, well, do you do this? Do you do that? Well, no. The question is, do you believe that Jesus came and died and broke that wall of the law and set us free? And it is truly the only way we have. And what a joy that is. There is not one above the other. And today we are not strangers. We are not aliens. But we are together those who believe in Jesus Christ. I love it. Through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Verse 18. Then he goes on, and maybe I'll just focus more so on verses 19 through 22, as we are together as one household. What does that look like? And just looking at those verses again, you are no longer strangers or foreigners. We've talked about that. But fellow citizens with the saints, and the saint is anyone who believes and trusts in Jesus Christ, has repented of their sin and turned to him, that we are members of this household, having been built on the foundation 
of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into this holy temple to the Lord, this beautiful, not physical building, spiritual building of people who desire to serve him. So as I thought of this and this amazing household, this is talking about the church. Now church is an interesting word in the Greek. It just simply means a gathering or an assembly. But what separates this church is simply this, is the common purpose of our gathering is Jesus. Because there's lots of gatherings, right? Like you have all these social clubs, right? The Shriners and others. You have people who might gather at the bar every night at 6 o'clock and they have togetherness, right? You might have sports teams. They, I, You know what? I love playing sports because I get to hang out and you get to know those guys and it's a gathering based on that, right? You might have book clubs, you whatever you're into. Uh, but this here, the church, is a gathering and it tells us what we gather for. And first and foremost, we gather around the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. We are gathered in his name. That's why we come here today, to celebrate Jesus, to encourage people in Jesus. We've just read that he is our peace. He's broken down this middle wall of separation. He's abolished the law. He came to save us only by his blood. He is the cornerstone of this household. He is the foundation. He is why we gather. We don't gather to tell each other about rules. We don't gather to say, you look good today, though that's nice. We don't gather for any other reason primarily than that of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, just go do something else. (laughs) If you're not here to seek Jesus, to promote Jesus, to worship Jesus, to remember Jesus, you're in the wrong place. Though you're welcome to see what we do, you're not going to get anything out of it you see this here idea of christ being the cornerstone is all through scripture jesus himself quoted it in matthew 21:42 he is everything first corinthians 3:11 for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid which is jesus christ Colossians 1.18, we desire that Jesus will have the preeminence in all that we do. He is the head of the body, the church. And you say, Pastor Dan, I know that. But sometimes we so easily can slip into church becoming about us and not about him. You see, practically, this really plays out in a way that changes everything. You see, if church is truly only about Christ and what he has done for us, it's not about us and what we do for him. Okay, hello. Because so often churches, what are you doing? What are you doing for Jesus? 
What are you doing for him? How are you serving? How are you doing that? How are you doing this? What are you doing? What are you doing? You didn't do this right. You did this wrong. No. Because we're all going to do things right and wrong, by the way. But we're here to celebrate his work, which was right and always right. Amen? And conflict with people is about us and what we do wrong. That's why we gather in his name, in his forgiveness, and his love. And it changes the whole picture to how we gather and why we gather. And though we know it, it can so easily change for our focus to be on ourselves and not on him, not on Jesus. And honestly, that's why we take communion each week to remind ourselves of the work of Christ Because in the midst of the sermon, in the midst of exhorting, in the midst of encouraging, it can be all about me and what I'm doing and not doing, and we always have to finish with Jesus. Amen? You don't seem as excited as me, but that's okay. I would say in our attempts, sometimes successful, sometimes failing, not perfect, but desiring to do right, it is our desire, again, at Northgate, that this assembly would always be about Christ. Always be about Christ. And sometimes we can even sing songs, I surrender all, I love you so much, and that's great. And sometimes we need to do more, but we need to remind ourselves that what we sing, what we teach, the kids to the adults, is always about the work of Jesus Christ. And his grace. Because there is no better place to live. And you are set free with his truth. And all the lies that come at you. You can be put away with the truth of Jesus. And who he is. What he's done. And his love for us. I guess it would our desire as a leadership that anyone comes. Wouldn't be encouraged by people. But would be encouraged by the truth of the gospel. Right? My words will fail. His words never do. Years ago, I went to a concert. I went to a few in my life. Not many. I'm not really a concert goer, but it was Chris Tomlin back in the early days. And later on, Lawrence took me to go golfing with him just to humble me, but not that great. Um, But I can remember leaving that concert It was actually the one, I went to two, one way back. And I remember the next day I was sitting in my car and I was like, why was I so encouraged? Like, I really enjoyed that. And I'm not like a super music lover or say, well, I love his voice or not his voice. As I reflected, so much of what he sang that night was about Jesus. And I said, Lord... I want that to be a part of the ministry that I'm a part of. Because I want people not to recognize whose voice was speaking or who did what. But I want people to leave saying Jesus was there and I was encouraged. Secondly, as the cornerstone, and by the way, the foundation, the cornerstone was the first stone laid. And it's a little bit of construction difference, but to what we do today, but very important in that foundation, and it's him himself, but also built on that foundation after the cornerstone. That foundation is built 
on the apostles and the prophets. And what do uh, we mean by that? Or what did Paul mean by that? And I could say this, that often things in this world can get very chaotic in the sense of what is truth? I know Jesus loves me and died for me, but what is truth? What is right and wrong? But we have this amazing gift that we're not left alone, that Jesus, being the cornerstone, left us with the words of the capital A apostles and the capital P prophets. I do think that there's offices of prophets today, and even that word apostle is one cent. But there is none to replace the capital A who wrote the scriptures that we have today. The prophets, we know that prophecy and the prophets, the Old Testament, it's those big long books, right? Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and all the little ones. And we even have some prophetic books. It's actually one-third of the scripture is prophecies from prophets written down for us. That was fulfilled and yet to be fulfilled. And these words are crucial and they become the foundation. The apostles, those 12 and Paul, they write the majority of the New Testament, right? So what is Paul saying here? He's saying, listen, your gathering is based on the work of Christ who's made you one. And it's all about Jesus and that cornerstone, but that foundation, which is so important, otherwise the house will fall, is based on the truth of God's word. The truth that we have here holds us when everything everywhere else gets chaotic. And by the way, this book is being questioned continually. People are disinterested. It's a challenge even in discipleship to get people to open their Bible. Oh, read my Bible. It's seen as boring and unalive, old, tired, not for me. In the age of Instagram and Facebook where things come in front of our eyes so quickly and we scroll down. You want me to sit with this book? Not necessarily what I want, but I want to tell you this morning that this book is the foundation of truth. So when you need to know or be led or you need guidance or truth, God's word does not change and holds us as a foundation that we desperately need in our lives. So as we gather, because we're one household, not, not only do we want everything to be based on Jesus, but on that foundation is God's word. Not only for our lives, but together. And the gathering, whether it's here or in a coffee shop or in our homes, always the foundation is the truth of God's word. And if we turn from that to the counsel of this world, someone would say it leads us to a very difficult place where we lose our security and our strength. God's word is here to guide us, to protect us. 
2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Isaiah 55, it does not come back void. Psalm 139, it revives us and renews us and we can read about King Josiah and see how it changed a kingdom. How does this happen practically? Well, I would say in my life, as I truly began to read, it wasn't a moment, but this continually change in my heart of Hebrews 4 would say this two-edged sword coming alive to cut to me what is truth and behavior that is not. It's all here for us. I guess when I thought about this point, is God's word alive to you as your foundation? Is it a secondary thing you pull out at night and I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to encourage you, to exhort you that life lives within this book. And God desires to speak to us every day. And certainly I believe in prayer by the power of his Holy Spirit. But first and foremost, by the truth of this book. I can remember I had been challenged and I've told this story before many years ago by a friend when I was a teacher, oh boy, 20 years ago. And at that point, I didn't know if I had read through Scripture. I certainly was reading on my own. And I told my, I was teaching 10th grade Bible at the time, and I said, hey guys, why not, we're going to work through the New Testament. And I was so proud of the fact that they were reading the Bible, and I think it was a really good thing. But this guy comes in to parent-teacher interviews. He says, what about you? How's your Bible reading going? What are you, What? You're, not supposed to, you're supposed to ask me about your daughter. That's my devotional life. Like, what's wrong with you? Remember, he was a Messianic Jewish guy, Rabbi Rosenberg. And he said, I have a reading plan. Why don't you try reading the Bible in three months? And again, as I mentioned that, because it is so precious to me, that as I began to read my 12 chapters a day, it began to change my life. And I never thought I had the time. By the way, I had lots of kids then. But I had Bibles everywhere. I had Bibles in the bathroom. I had Bible in the lunchroom at work. I had Bible in my office. I had Bible in my bedroom because I had a lot of reading. And I'm not saying I got, I didn't remember everything I read, obviously, because I'm not a good reader to begin with. But it took me 45 minutes to an hour. But what happened is my pattern of thinking started to change from what the sports score was to what I had read. And what I had read started to change my heart, and it began to revive my own heart, submitting and putting myself into the truth of God's Word. Do I read 12 chapters today? No, I don't. Do I try to read three? Yes, I do. Every day, probably same spot, on my bed, same time, every morning. I'm not telling you how to read, but I'm telling you it's the foundation of your life and as you see it as truth it will become alive to you not as a bunch of rules not as a bunch of old stories not a bunch of things that didn't happen or you don't know but if you take it and try to apply it and say this is the foundation it will hold you and guess what it will hold us as a church no matter the storm because we've been through storms, we'll go through more storms, and sometimes the only solace I have is in the truth of God's word when everyone else's voice is in my ear. 
I can turn back here and know what it says. And that's why we try to teach it every Sunday morning. We go through it, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, because we believe that in it is the foundation to hold each individual and each person. Amen? I can remember up there, prayer meeting, we used to do it up there. Poor Ralph, he was 88. We had to, like, lift him up those stairs. I don't know why we did that. We've done some real dumb things. But we were praying one day, and I was sitting on the couch, and I'm not one to have visions or stuff like that, but I can remember this one specifically. I don't know who was praying. Maybe I was tuning out. It was pretty early in the morning. Now, that's common. Um, But I did see some darkness, and I couldn't find my way around. But then there was a light, and it was leading me. And specifically, I asked God after, what was that? It was kind of like a glow. Not stick, but it was square. But in that, I was able to be directed in the darkness. God said, that's my word. That's my word for you. The darkness, it needs to be your foundation. And if it's for me... I'm a human. It's for you. And for us as a church, as the household of God, this is the foundation. So when the storms come, this book does not change. Amen? God's word is eternal. It's alive. It's real. Don't pass it off for the next fad, but hold tight to it. And I would encourage you even... Uh, a challenge to myself. Don't read the commentaries or listen to all the sermons. Dig in for yourself. Because I'm really great at this, but I see a lot of people are like this too. We're great at regurgitating what someone else has said. Get into it yourself. And what you'll find is, usually what they say, you'll say, but it'll be closer to you because you've learned it. And that's the difference. I'm not saying don't listen to sermons. All, anything more. Hold it, listen to it, read it, meditate on it. And you will bear fruit in a very difficult time of drought. Again, that's Psalm 1, right? You will be like that tree. Planted, meditate on God's word to bear fruit. This is not condemning. Does anyone feel condemned? This is like, come on, woo, let's go. Because as a church, that's how to encourage each other in the chief cornerstone Christ and the foundation of his word that the apostles and the prophets have written. Finally, in the whole building, which is us being fitted together, by the way, First Peter, on top of that foundation, would call us then the living stones. So here, bang, cornerstone foundation, household, right? That's who we are. Bang, Christ. Bang, his word. Then, choo, choo, little Devin, little Keith, like filling your name. Bang, boom, boom. You're like being built together on the truth of Christ. We are becoming this household together, this building together. But these are living stones, it says in First Peter. I love that. It doesn't call them bricks, but it calls it stones. Aren't you happy? We're not all the same. Little square. Even, you know, the new things, they, the new houses, because I just bought bricks from my garage. Uh, they try to make them look different, but they're all standard. Like all the big ones are the same. All the small ones are all the same. All the medium ones are the same. Right? 
But my fireplace at home isn't like that. I don't know where they got those stones. If you ever been in my house, you would see it. And if you haven't, come on. The door's always open. Someone said, why don't you ever lock your door? I said, because someone might visit. Um, There's stones. I don't know, from the woods or somewhere, but you got big stones, you got little stones, you got dark stones, you got light stones. And when people come in my living room, they don't see anything else. They're like, wow, they've never seen it. That's a really nice fireplace. And I don't know what my landlord was thinking when he built that thing because it's so big. Or previous owner who was my landlord. But I love this in relation to this, that we are all living stones, different, not the same size, different, unique personality, but fit together. We need different parts of the body. We need different hands and legs and feet. We, we, we need all these to make a body, right? You need fingers and eyes and noses. We don't want to all be the same. You all are different, praise God. But we are all based on the same truth, but we are unique in who we are. And then we edify one another and use who we are for God's glory. Isn't that exciting? I love the book of Ephesians. It's amazing. But there's one last point. Here it is. That we're being built together. It says a dwelling place of the Spirit. Or dwelling place of God in the Spirit. And this is really important. As we gather together in the name of Christ. And I prayed this this morning. That we know as we gather in his name, he is with us, his spirit, the Holy Spirit. And we can have all the truth in the world, but if we don't have his spirit working and empowering, there's no life. Do you know what? We find a lot of churches sometimes that are heavy on truth and some that are heavy on the spirit. I don't think they should be separated. Bang! Right? It's truth and spirit. It's working together. It's not all truth, but it's my spirit, says the Lord. He says, we can't strive to succeed, but in Zechariah, not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. You see, there was a gathering of people in Acts chapter 2. Jesus told them to wait there as he ascended into heaven. The disciples and others who were waiting for him and the Holy Spirit came and filled them, gave them fruit and gifts, changed their character. Peter was a different man, as we see in his sermon. They weren't dwindling around trying to figure out who the next disciple should be. The Holy Spirit came, brought life, and as they spoke God's word, people were changed. You see, the Holy Spirit, when he empowers our gathering Change happens. His gifts, and each of us has gifts, 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. And as the Holy Spirit empowers us and we use them and we edify one another in the name of Jesus, in the boundary of his word, you got something really special. Amen. So powerful. I remember a missionary friend, Elma's here, Jim, when he planted churches, told me, you know what he would say when her church was really a church is when he saw the body operating in the spirit of God, when he saw the gifts in action, when people, these different parts, 
edified, empowered by the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus, came together. You had church! Amen? And by the way, that can happen in my living room or your living room. doesn't matter where. You see, the Holy Spirit, those gifts and that fruit, the fruit of the Spirit as we know, will always point us to the cornerstone Jesus. And if the Holy Spirit is working through the Word, we will always continually be encouraged and exhorted and comforted. If you would see it like this kind of an example, if we are a train, the tracks are the Word. We need the Word, we need the boundary, we need the truth, we need to stay on the tracks. But the train don't go anywhere unless there's fuel, and that fuel is the Holy Spirit. Amen? We need the tracks. You, you don't want to You go, you're there everywhere. We need that direction. But we need the empowering, the filling of the Holy Spirit. I remember when I first came 17 years ago. I was at Silver Lake and someone asked us over for dinner. And the first question is, aren't there enough churches in Perth? What are you doing? Yeah, right there. And I felt like, what am I doing? I'm nuts. Six kids, no money. Living in my parents' cottage. What was I thinking? And now this lady, and it was not a bad intention, by the way. I, I see her point. Like, there's churches. They're empty. Why do you want to start another church? Well, my first thought, if I would have went into myself and tried to figure it out, I probably would have went back to New Jersey. Well, number one, God called me, and I didn't want to deny he called me. And I'm not here to judge anything else, but I knew what God said. Come, I've called you to plant a church based on Jesus, teaching his word open to his spirit. That's why I've called you. And whether it was only going to be five people or it'll end up being more, it didn't matter. Because he had called me, I believe, having experienced this, to bring it here for God's glory. Led by his spirit, empowered by his word. And the rest, what he wants to do is up to him. And I'm kind of glad as I look around this morning, it's a bit... Like in the last couple of years, it's a bit newish of families, even though we're a little lighter this morning. But I want to encourage you, what is Northgate? It's simply this. People gathered in the name of Jesus who want to be taught and live by his word, empowered by his spirit. Amen? And we are not perfect because we're people. And when you find the perfect church, there'll be nobody there. But we work through it, looking to him. Amen? So thank you, Jesus, for your word this morning. And that there is not two, there's not Jew nor Gentile. There is one household, one body, and Jesus is the reason. You have broken down this middle wall of separation. First and foremost in our lives, sin Sin, anything that's against his word, sin 
separated us from God. And it's a common problem. It's a disease we're born with. But we know that Jesus came because we couldn't do it. We couldn't be good enough. But he came and he paid the price. He fulfilled the law. He was perfect. And in our imperfection, he paid the price for that with his perfection. In his love on the cross, he took our sin and all our mistakes. And this morning, he offers us his righteousness, his perfection. And how does that switcheroo happen? It happens by us believing and trusting and looking to him. And in that moment, as we repent and say we can't do it, and turn from our sin and look at Christ, the Bible says that we are saved for eternity. And this morning again, would there be a reality of eternity in our mind? There is a hell and there is a heaven because the Bible says it. And we do not want to go to the unquenchable fire Forever and forever, there is a way, and the way is Jesus. It's not a class, it's not confirmation, it's trusting and believing in Him. And if you've never done that, you can this morning. It's a personal thing, where you would simply believe and confess Him as Lord of your life. You would repent and turn from your way of doing things and submit and trust Him. Is that you? May the Holy Spirit work in our hearts. Today is the day of salvation. Where Jesus can become your cornerstone. Forever and ever. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Nothing can separate you from his love. Would you turn to him today? Maybe the rest of us in this room, so easily it's turned to us and who we are and what we do in our failures and our successes. Maybe life is drowning us. Would you turn back to the cornerstone of your life? Would you remember Jesus and live in his love? Would you know his word is true? Would you be encouraged this morning to dig deep? May life come from it to you. Holy Spirit, would you fill us afresh and anew? May we be being filled with you this morning. May we be empowered. May we walk in the Spirit, not to fulfill the lust of the flesh. You're so faithful, God. We love you so much. We're going to take communion this morning for all of those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't believe in him, it doesn't mean anything to you, so don't take it. But if you want to remember Jesus and all that he's done for you, you're more than welcome. By the way, we don't check or anything like that. It's not about that. It's just an encouragement this morning that we are to remember Jesus and his love, his body and his blood, his forgiveness, his grace. Truly, we desire in this moment that he would have all preeminence 
that we would look at him, his grace, and be encouraged. If you had a miserable week of sin, would you take these elements and remember that you are forgiven, that you are loved? Because it's not about you. It's about him. But if you are still living in sin, repent and turn, confess. Because all that junk is just going to hurt you. And Jesus says, turn, confess it. Know my forgiveness. And go and sin no more. Amen. There'll be people at the back if you'd like prayer. We'd love to pray for you. Here's how we do it at Northgate as... We sing in worship. The elements are in the back quietly and respectfully. You can get that, bring it back to your seat, and then when we're done singing, we'll partake together. Let's worship Jesus. In the darkness we were waiting With our hope and without light Till from heaven Oh
Thanks for listening. If you want any information about our church, check us out at northgateministry.com. If you'd like to listen to more teachings, you can listen at YouTube at Northgate Ministry. 